Hi, welcome back to Off the Cuff, Evacor Healthcare's podcast. Today, we have a special episode to talk about something that's top of mind for a lot of folks right now, and that is COVID and its impact on children. And to help us talk about that, we have three Evacor physicians um, here to discuss this. We have Dr. Michelle Nyer, Dr. Jessica Robertson, and Dr. Keith Cronomer. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, Emily. Hi. Um, so why don't we um, get started with a little um, bit of some background information on each of you. Um, Michelle, Dr. Nyer, would you like to go first? Sure. Thanks, Emily. So I practiced pediatric hematology and oncology for over a decade before leaving that work. And now I practice pediatric integrative medicine um, in addition to doing my work at Evacor. And I've been with Evacor now for just over a year. Great, we're so glad you're here. Jessica, Dr. Robertson, how about you? Hi, my name is Jessica Robertson. Um, I too am a pediatric hematologist and oncologist and also um, have practiced a lot of general pediatrics um, on and off over the course of my career for, um, for about 17 years. And then um, I've been, well, for about 13 years before I started working for Evacor and I've been with Evacor now for about three years and um, really enjoy kind of integrating the clinical knowledge with the the work that we do to try to get the right care to people at the right time. Great, thank you, Jessica. Glad you're here. And Keith, how about you? I am a pediatric radiologist by training and I was in academic practice of pediatric radiology for about uh, 16 and a half years before I started with what's now Evacor and I've been with this company for just over seven years now. Great, thank you. And, and is your Hawaiian shirt representing any type of awareness that we should know? <laughs> Just relaxing. <laughs> right, okay, great. Um, I wanna jump back to Michelle. Can you, just for our audience, um, describe a little bit about what integrative medicine is? Sure, I'd be happy to. So integrative medicine is medicine that focuses on mind, body, and spirit and uses both complementary as well as traditional medicine techniques. So the example I always give that sets integrative medicine apart is if you have um, an adult who's diagnosed with high blood pressure, they may go to their physician and walk away with a prescription for medication. An integrative medicine physician might write that prescription but in addition, they would address things like diet, exercise, spirituality, lifestyle. So it's really a way of looking at the big picture mm -hmm. and taking care of the person, not just their diagnosis. That's really great. Thank you for the explanation. Thank you. So um, let's jump into today's topic. And I just want to um, you know, preface all of this again with this is um, not... Um, part of any Evacor strategy or program, we really wanted to just talk about this issue of COVID that has been with us now for two years. And we're seeing, or we've seen that the um, Delta variant has been um, a little more um, impactful on our pediatric population. And so that's why we thought it would be a, a great opportunity for us to, um, to talk about um, COVID and, and bring this um, to today's podcast. So, um, so let's start with the Delta variant of COVID. Um, why 
do you all, why is that so much more virulent, it seems, in, um, in children than when COVID first um, hit us? Well, I think it's more virulent in everyone. My understanding is the um, transmissibility of the original alpha COVID mm -hmm. virus was on the order of one person can typically infect a couple of people and that as compared to the Delta variant where one person can typically affect uh, four to five people. And I think you compare that to something like uh, mumps or measles where one person can typically affect eight to 10 people. Oh, wow. So I, I think the only other thing that I would add is that while the transmissibility is higher, I think it's not completely clear yet whether or not the severity of disease in children is significantly worse. I think that's not clear. We're certainly seeing more children who are infected. I just think there's still a lot of questions in the air about severity of disease um, and how serious it is in terms of that. So I think for many people, it is and seems scarier because it's so much easier to get than earlier variants that we were seeing. But I'm not convinced that it's necessarily making kids sicker. Um, I think there's a lot of questions still to be answered about that. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking at, at last week's uh, morbidity mortality weekly report um, published by the CDC. Um, and it um, their latest data showed that um, there is a, a tenfold increase in hospitalizations among children ages zero to four as a result of um, the Delta variant. Um, and that's um, mainly in unvaccinated um, adult, uh, children. Um, is that reflecting what you all are seeing in your practice and in your work at Evacor? I mean, I think that we do have to recognize that the dynamics of this virus will change as the population starts to get vaccinated. And so, you know, young children don't have the opportunity to get vaccinated yet. And so we probably, there may very well be milder cases of COVID amongst vaccinated people that we don't know exist because they aren't presenting with signs and symptoms of illness. Um, so that may be a factor. We don't know the answer to that yet. Um, but also we would hope that there would also be fewer adults ending up in the hospital. And we are seeing you know, that vaccines certainly impact that as well. So I think the sort of the demographics of who is going to get more sick is gonna be constantly changing as the seasonal spread of viruses changes, as people spend more time indoors and as different ages start to get vaccinated and older people start to get boosters. I mean, all of this is changing all the time, but I think we do need to keep in mind that at present, children under 12 are not vaccinated for this outside of clinical trials. So it's a very small number of vaccinated kids. Okay, let's um, switch gears then. Let's talk about the impact that um, COVID has had on delayed care in children from you know, the very young to you know, teenage years and early adolescence. Um, are we finding that parents are or were not taking their kids in for their developmental screenings um, like they would prior to COVID? You know, I was still clinically actively practicing general pediatrics uh, until we recently relocated. Until that time, I was still um, doing a little bit of general pediatrics work. 
And definitely last year, there was a very big impact on routine visits. I think people were really nervous about, you know, you're taking all these mech all these steps to prevent infection in, in schools and in the community and people were a little bit reluctant to bring a well child into a doctor's office with the thought that you know that's where sick people are right um and right. even though practices were doing a great job with infection control procedures and masking and separating sick and well children people did have that reluctance to bring well children in and also, if you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, we were telling people, hold off, you know, it's okay. But that's when we thought this was going to be, you know, a month or two. And now we're at 18 months and we certainly can't keep delaying routine care. And so I think it's it's really a, an important role that we have as physicians, not just in the office, but in the community to acknowledge the work that practices are doing to make it safe for people to come and get their regular care. Mm -hmm. You know, my husband's a vascular surgeon, and thankfully he had been doing very, very few amputations um, prior to COVID. And once COVID hit, it was fascinating. He was doing more, more amputations than he ever has in his career because people were not seeking care when they were sick. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in the adult world, we're seeing a lot of that. I anticipate that in pediatrics, we're going to see a lot more of the psychosocial disease. I think that the impact is gonna be seen for years to come, not just in the short term. I think we're seeing kids with more obesity and more mental health disorders. Um, and that's what really concerns me that, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the long-term impact, not just in terms of screening now, but the result of COVID and, everything around them going on in society and how that's going to impact them 10, 20 years down the road. Yeah. And Keith, you had shared um, an article with me and um, about the impact on um, in adults in um, delayed diagnosis um, yeah. for um, there, cancers. There, 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 there's, there's articles out there that reflect um, uh, children relatively similar to adults between uh, a quarter and a third of patients have related delayed uh, care over the over over the time of the pandemic, and mm -hmm. there have been, um, particularly in kids, there have been delayed immunizations, uh, not just the not just the COVID vaccine, but just the normal childhood immunizations. Yeah. There have been there's been delayed dental dental visits. There's been delayed uh, routine physical examinations, and actually. Um, my understanding is that the approximate number of delayed evaluations in kids is relatively similar to that in like non-ill adults. Mm -hmm. People have not been going to the doctor as much and people have not been bringing their kids to the doctor as much. It's just been right. the, the, the sicker, more debilitated, more elderly people that continue to go to the doctor in a more consistent manner compared to their pre pre uh, COVID lifestyles. Yeah, that's, um, it's really interesting because you think about, uh, so the United States Preventive Services Task Force, they have their uh, um, recommend, recommended screenings um, and pre preventive care for people of all ages, but for children in particular, um, um, hearing and vision screenings are so important 
and you think about the impact if um, there are no issues identified when they should be, the impact on learning, mm -hmm. um, their ability to just um, be able to interact with their peers, the social development. So um, I can imagine that um, many of those screenings have been missed as well, which could have not only, you know, we talk about delayed care having an impact on, you know, late, later stage cancer diagnosis, but just the educational impact on these kids um, with the delayed screenings um, is pretty um, profound. We have to acknowledge the vital role that school systems play in picking up issues with kids and with so such prolonged school closures and kids still being in and out a lot with you know quarantines and exposures and things like that you know we know statistically that child abuse reports went down during the pandemic and we know that it's very unlikely that child abuse itself decreased during the pandemic and often and not just child abuse reading delays illnesses nutritional deficits you know teachers play a huge role in this teachers notice when kids are you know particularly excited about the free lunches and they know which kids are getting nutritional support at school and they know a lot about the home environment of kids and they have often been the source of picking up you know socially driven problems developmental problems kids who don't have regular pediatric care do get in most states vision and hearing screenings at school. And so, you know, not having those interactions or having those interactions be limited or done in a different way definitely has the potential to impact the care of kids as well. And, and I think, you know, we all appreciate the role of school a little more, I think, after the past year and a half, not just in terms of teaching, but in terms of all the other roles that that infrastructure plays for children and families. And, an, and another thing where the school where the school helps um, uh, do a little bit of equilibration is um, the statistics have shown that up to a third of people have delayed care. The lower socioeconomic patients are more likely to have delayed care than the higher socioeconomic patients. So the, 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 the more needy are more likely to fall through the cracks. And I have data here um, that illustrate that. So um, the Urban Institute um, have been tracking the impact of the coronavirus um, in children and um, folks with an income of less than 250% um, of the federal poverty level, 30.6% uh, delayed or did not get at least one type of care for their child, um, as opposed to folks with an income of greater than 250% um, over the federal poverty line, that percentage was 27%. So, um, and then it breaks it down even further into dental care, um, well child checkups, um, and the more specific the care, the greater the disparity in the percentage of um, you know, folks taking their kids for their visits. Um, dental care, 21.1% um, of um, parents, um, less than 250% of the federal poverty line, uh, had not did not take their kids for their um, regular dental checkups uh, compared to 18.6% of um, families over that line. 
overall, it's 19.8% of kids not getting their dental checkups, which is not great when you think of um, you know, how you know, dental care can impact your health, your ability to um, you know, eat. <laughs> if you have cavities, you're in pain, um, you know, it affects your entire self-esteem and your entire body, your entire person, um, as Michelle would know in her integrative medicine um, experience. Keith, um, so you review uh, pediatric radiology requests at Evacor. Are you seeing, which would, um, for the audience, would be um, CT scans, MRI scans, PET scans. Are you seeing this impact in your daily work? Well, the, the, the volumes during the beginning of the pandemic went way down significantly. Um, over the past two or three months, they're kind of rebounding and we're, we're seeing a lot more in the way of imaging requests than we had uh, in the pre-pandemic equivalent timeframe. So comparing say July of uh, 2021 to, compare to July of 2019, we have a lot more requests for advanced imaging at this point in time, but uh, July of 2020, we had almost none. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's not good. <laughs> oh, wow. I think there's going to be a lot of secondary impact. You know, you have higher rates of mental health disorders, obesity, right? Obesity leads to higher rates of cancer, cardiovascular mm -hmm. disease, right? I think there's going to be a real trickle down effect that may be difficult to quantify, but I think over time will be cumulative. I hope to God I'm wrong. Right. Um, but I, I do worry about it. You know, this is a major trauma. And so there's data on things like adverse child events, ACEs, and how they impact chronic disease um, development, overall health, et cetera, right? So you now have a period of time where the entire world, all of the children in the world right now are experiencing a serious ACE, an adverse childhood event. Um, and we know that it, that increases, or I should say decreases quality of life, health, et cetera. So I just, I'm sure there are people monitoring this and researching it, but I do worry about the impact, you know, not just now, which is what we're focusing on, but really like 20, 30, 40 years from now, what's going to happen to all of these children when they're adults? Um, and hopefully the pediatricians out there in the community are being proactive. There's evidence in some places that have experienced major traumas that if you do things like, for instance, supplement, you know, with minerals and supplements, um, that you can decrease some of that impact early psychological intervention can decrease some of that impact. So I, I think as pediatricians in particular, we really need to be proactive about ongoing screening, ongoing interventions um, to prevent those, those late effects, if you will. Yeah, and um, in screen time too. So the effects that delay, you know, hours of screen time a day can have on a kid's development. And is it, so the American Academy of Pediatrics, is it two hours of screen time a day or did they, have they back, like, what's the recommended recommended um, hours of screen time at this point um, for children? Um, Depends if you're a working mother or not. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> or parent. I should say parent. I'm going to say right. that Jessica and I've had these conversations. That's why I'm saying a working mother. But um, yeah, I think there's the ideal and what the AAP says. I don't know what that number is. And then there's the reality of the situation exactly. we've all been in, which is trying to work from home or the office, limited child care, yes. and, you know, limited yeah sort of things to take your kids to so I, right. I don't know what the answer is I know yeah so challenging and I think graduate students for the next 10 years are going to have so many different research opportunities to study the impact of COVID from viewing time down to you know um cancer diagnoses you know I think another thing we're all pediatric subspecialists or or specialists you know she's a pediatric radiologist but we focused a lot on routine screenings. And then, you know, obviously Michelle and I with our oncology background, surveillance too for people who have recovered from cancer, but also the whole population of things that fall in the middle, things that are routine for kids that have chronic illnesses that are not routine for everyone else. And I think that parents have really struggled with those decisions because here you have a population of kids that is you know, in, in many cases, medically more fragile. We don't know what the risk of COVID is in each different childhood, you know, comorbidity. You know, we know COVID is terrible if you have COPD, but we don't know much about, you know, COVID if you have mild asthma and you're seven. You know, these are all things we're still learning. And so these kids who have routine subspecialty follow-up, a lot of those appointments are far away for families and they're not perceived as maybe, you know, as essential as getting vaccines, you know, so parents are sort of making this, and, and I have three children, I'm making these decisions all the time, this sort of subjective assessment of like risk versus benefit in an environment where people are not trained to do it. We're not, as parents, it's not our job to analyze the data that's presented to us on the news and decide, is it more important for my child to stay home or is it more important for them to go to this physical therapy or whatever? And so I think there is a lot of that in-between population that tends to kind of get forgotten. You know, kids with cancer, they're not so likely to fall through the cracks because their parents are super worried and their providers are very on top of what's happening. And kids in the general healthy population, there's routine recommendations from the AAP and the schools, but there's a lot of kids in the middle who have sort of mild to moderate chronic illness and have received very little guidance throughout the pandemic. And I think, like Michelle said, unfortunately, we're gonna see over the course of time how that has worked out. But as the risks and demographics of this virus change, I think it's really important for us to not forget about this population of children and adults for that matter that sort of aren't red flags and aren't just like everybody else and they haven't gotten a lot of attention and they probably could use a little more guidance than they're getting. That's a really great point. I think of um, sickle cell where it's really important to have um, that you know uh, maintenance um, routine down and otherwise you end up in you know the emergency room. Um, and now emergency rooms are packed so in many areas. So um, a child with um, an acute crisis may not even get seen um, on a, a you know, timely basis. So um, that's a really great point. 
And also important to know, you all aren't just, um, you know, you all don't just work with kids as patients, you all have kids and grandkids. So you have um, a vested interest in, in this. This isn't just a job to you. Um, COVID impact on society um, and on individuals, um, it, it's very um, personal to you all as well. Struggle with these choices too. I mean, if that makes the, the viewers feel any better that, you know, even, even doctors are struggling with what the right thing to do is. It's not just you, you know, we're all yeah. figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. That's the other population that we, in pediatrics, that we need to think about is the providers. They're under a tremendous, tremendous amount of stress from every direction. They're constantly figuring out what's safe in their office, what's not, what's safe for their patients, what's not, how to manage, you know, different time demands, telehealth versus in office. Um, there's a lot of physicians who practice clinically who've been leaving clinical medicine for various reasons during COVID. Again, I don't know what the data is, but at least anecdotally, I've seen and I've heard of a lot of colleagues during COVID who are saying, it, it just made me realize I can't do this anymore. The pressure's too high. Nurses, you know, dealing with COVID positive patients, navigating how to deal with their own family at home. So it's not just the patients and their families who are being impacted, it's the entire healthcare community. You know, I one of my closest and dearest friends is an ER doc out in LA. And he said to me the other day, I'm just exhausted. I don't know how much more of this I can do. And, and I can't imagine what it's like to be in his shoes every day going into the ER, intubating people in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. And some of them don't even leave the ER. Um, it's horrible, it's tragic, it takes a toll on people. So it's not just, again, there's a ripple effect, right? It's not just the kids, it's not just their families, it's the schools, the communities, the healthcare community, it's, it's everyone. That's really sad, unfortunate. Is there anything you would like to tell our listeners, anything you wanna tell parents who are listening, um, any last um, words of wisdom or, um, you know, empathetic uh, words um, just to help make folks feel better um, that, you know, we're all going to get through this one way or another. Well, we are, we are all going to get through this. It is valuable to do the preventative care that is suggested by the physicians and by the academy. Um, so please take your kids to the doctor for not just when they're sick, but when, when they need preventative checkups and so forth. And uh, it is well documented that the COVID vaccines make a difference. So please get vaccinated. Agreed. It's all about vaccines. And to any parents and caregivers, I would say, put on your own oxygen mask first. You know, just like being in the plane in an emergency, they tell you to put on your oxygen mask. So parents and caregivers out there should go out and get vaccinated and take care of your own health so you're able to take care of your child. I mean, I think that you guys kind of hit the nail on the head. Everyone is really trying to do the best that they can. Um, and don't be afraid to ask questions of, you know, of your doctor's office or whatever to, because I think you will find that it's not as scary as you think. 
and that they really are taking precautions to protect you. So you do your part to keep you and your children and everyone else safe and they are doing their part and hopefully we can move forward and, and address the other things that affect our kids besides just COVID. And forgive yourself if your kid watches six hours of screen time and orders in three meals a day. <laughs> you know, I say this all the time. I, I live in an I live in an area nationally where uh, there's a lot of COVID non-believers and and you know, so what I tell families is, you know, I think we all can agree that it's very difficult when your child has to stay home from school for 14 days for an asymptomatic exposure and they're quarantined. So even if you're not that worried about COVID, if you wear a mask and wash your hands and get your flu shot, you're less likely to get other things. Right. So your child is less likely to get a stuffy nose and be sent home to quarantine if you take general infection control precautions. Mm -hmm. So if you take all the other questions and data and things that we're struggling with out of it, if you break it down to the most simple thing, which is it's really stressful when kids can't go to school, we can help with that by taking basic precautions to keep them from getting routine things such that they don't end up quarantined for no reason, right? We want kids to be in school. Parents at this point are really struggling with childcare. So if we just do those basic, simple things, we can make everyone's life just that much simpler and calmer. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the flu um, can put someone out for two weeks and, you know, that's the impacts the, the parents and the sick kids with their homework and just, you know, feeling awful. So that's a really good point. Um, and even if you're sick for two days, if you have a stuffy nose, yes. you're not going to school. Exactly. You're not going to school for a you long time. You shouldn't be. <laughs> Although a lot of right. kids get sent to They're school. They're not going to let you. <laughs> right. But try and uh, do these simple things. Yeah. Whatever you think about COVID, COVID, still a good idea. days, you could go to school with a stuffy nose. But right. nowadays, nowadays, they, they frown on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they send you right home. If you have a headache, they send you home. They send you home. <laughs> but my 11 year old said, somebody's going to go to the nurse for a broken arm and they're going to send him home for COVID. <laughs> right. It's a smart the nurse's kid. office. She, she scraped her foot. I said, why don't you go to the nurse? And she said, because they would send me home for two weeks. I said, no, not for a scraped foot. Get a band-aid. Oh. <laughs> I actually felt bad. My kid has cyclic vomiting and abdominal migraines. And pre-COVID, she would get an episode early in the morning. She'd feel better and she'd go to school. So she never right. missed school for it. And now she said, mom, I can't get sick because if I get sick, they're not gonna let me in the building that oh. day. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it really, you don't think about things like that. Like we know what's going on. She knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. Word for it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that you never hear anyone talk about is hand washing. Um, we talk about masks, but you know, I think we also need to have that um, whenever we're talking about wearing masks, that general hygiene. And, and Jessica, you mentioned it um, earlier. Wash your hands, people, just like you would you know, to prevent a you know a rhinovirus or anything. Right. So, well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today on Off the Cuff. I'll see you next time.